Hear the word of our Lord from the 8th chapter of the book of Acts, beginning in the 4th verse. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and saw the signs that he did. For unclean spirits, crying out with a loud voice, came out of many who had them, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was much joy in that city. But there was a man named Simon, who had previously practiced magic in the city and amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he himself was somebody great. They all paid attention to him, from the least to the greatest, saying, This man is the power of God that is called great. And they paid attention to him, because for a long time he had amazed them with his magic. But when they believed Philip, as he preached the good news about the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Even Simon himself believed, and after being baptized, he continued with Philip. And seeing signs and great miracles performed, he was amazed. Now when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent them to Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For he had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. Now when Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, Give me this power also, so that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, May your silver perish with you, because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have neither part nor lot in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. Repent therefore of this wickedness of yours, and pray to the Lord that, if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. And Simon answered, Pray for me to the Lord that nothing of what you have said may come upon me. Now when they had testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. This is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. So why am I bringing up Simon Magus? What's so important about this guy? Why do we call him Simon Magus? Well, Magus being an old term for mage, traditionally it's just been his title in the church. Simon Magus, Simon the Magician, Simon the Mage, Simon the Sorcerer. His story is an interesting one. Because after this moment, the heresy of what is called simony, that's just been a thing in the church. We've always referred to it as simony because Simon Magus attempts to buy grace from God. To buy grace and the wonders of the Holy Spirit from the apostles. Now, before we cast judgment on this man's character, it does say that even Simon himself believed in uh, Acts 8.13, and after being baptized, he continued with Philip. So we see with Simon here, a little bit more than just, oh, some dirty heretic that wanted to pay his way into great power. 
Well, what do we mean when we talk about simony then? Peter says it's, it's enough to die. It's your money perish with you, he says. He says that this is a serious thing. But was Simon having good intentions or bad? That's the question we want to ask today as we relate the question of simony to the baby boomer generation. Yes, yes, today we're talking about what I'd like to call boomer theology. You see, Simon Magus, he's, he's interesting because he is a believer. The Bible does not deny that the man had true faith, even saving faith. And that he was baptized, born again. But he still feels like there's something he needs. There's something he wants. And he believes that that problem can be solved with money. The root of simony is not financial gain. Although, strictly speaking, yes, there is simony that we see with various televangelists who will tell you they can teach you how to speak in tongues if you only pay them $29.95 a month. You can, you can go out there and you can see the Bob Tiltons of the world or the, uh, the Jim Bakers of the world who are like, here, let me sell you this holy oil that will cure all your, will, your woes and, and God will come down and he's going to shovel money into your bank account. It's going to be great. That's all simony. That's all selling grace. But inside of that, the person who is tempted to go along with or commit simony, at the root of their problem, well, there's actually two issues here. And the first we're going to talk about is the belief that grace is not enough. What is given isn't enough. There's some hole that needs to be filled. I think you, you probably see where I'm going with this. Simon Magus believed in Jesus. He believed that he was saved. He was baptized. He had received the new birth. This is a man who is regenerate, given the new birth. And as he decides to leave everything in his past life behind, his sorceries, his, uh, his hucksterism, trying to become somebody with a big name. He leaves everything. Everything starts off so good, right? He leaves everything and becomes a follower of the Apostle Philip, or Evangelist Philip, whoever, whichever one this Philip is. And we have to ask the question then. So he, he leaves everything. He, he starts... He starts out so well. He drops everything and follows Philip the same way the apostles drop everything and follow Jesus. And they leave their sinful ways behind as well. But then he sees the Holy Spirit in the laying on of hands. And he decides, boy, howdy, I got to get in on this. I got to get in on this, this gift, the ability to lay my hands on somebody and for God to come down and give them special things. Because when the Holy Spirit in these days showed up in somebody, like he was already there in their baptism as the sign and seal of their salvation. But with the special gifts of the Holy Spirit, with the special charismata, well, suddenly now guys are speaking in tongues. Suddenly now people are being healed. 
This is great. This looks good. And Simon decides, I want that. But wasn't salvation enough? Wasn't living the quiet life of a follower of Jesus enough? And that's, that's the root of simony. It's the belief that it's not enough. There has to be something else. Something new. Something better. And boomer theology does the same thing. Simony believes that God isn't enough. This is why the Roman Catholic Church was guilty of simony in the sale of indulgences. It was selling grace because the cross was not enough for your sins. It was selling grace to people, selling the favor of God for money. Because Jesus didn't really wipe out your sins. You still got to worry about this purgatory place. And today... As in the 60s, many, many boomers out there have a history of feeling like there needs to be something more. So we have movements in the 20th century like the Jesus people, also known as the Jesus freaks. Got their long hairs, they got their beards, they're, they're these hippies wearing their sandals and everything, but unlike the hippies out there just tripping on LSD and listening to the Beatles until they feel like they've reached enlightenment after their orgy at a Woodstock or whatever, the Jesus people said, well, no, 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 you don't get it, man. My dad, when he took me out there as a kid in a suit and tie to our, to our Presbyterian church, it felt so dry and dead. And mm, We need something better, man. We need authentic Christianity. We need more. So the Jesus people start doing their thing. They start trying to create a Christianity that is better than the Christianity they were given as kids. It was missing something, a life, a zazz, or maybe even the gifts of the Spirit. And they set it up. And yeah, there were some of them that didn't really think of money as part of an equation, but then there were singles coming out saying, Jesus is just alright with me. Do, 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 And so, Jesus was considered not enough. Maybe there needs to be money. Maybe there needs to be just a little bit more. Other boomers went, Oh man, got these problems in my life and it's great that I'm saved, but I need, you know what I need? I need more signs. I need more, uh, more of a something in here that I, I can do with it. So the Pentecostal churches came in and the unfortunate bastard children of the Pentecostal churches came in, our televangelists. And we can blame the televangelists all we want for selling grace. The other side of simony here, selling it, trying to say, well, this thing that should be free from God, I, you can just uh, pay some seed money to me, kiddo, and you'll reap the whirlwind of wonderful things from our Lord. But on the flip side, there were a ton of boomers. And there still are to this day who lap it up. Just like Simon Magus wants to pay the apostles, these people want to pay a spiritual authority 
for things that they ought to get freely from God if God so chooses to give it to them. So on the one hand, we have these hippies who felt like their their upbringing wasn't enough. And then we have the, uh, the televangelist phenomenon and millions of followers. Remember, Jim Baker, I mean, guy had a private jet. I think he still does. Claiming this is what God wants for me. And hey, kiddo, maybe God will give you a Maserati too while he's at it and giving me a private jet on your dime. But there's more, isn't there? Boomer theology doesn't stop at uh, Pentecostal hyper-televangelism. It doesn't stop at hippiest Jesus movement things where authenticity is sought everywhere and, well, often at the expense of authenticity. Mm -mm. No, because boomers also, they're the ones with whom the dispensationalist movement really caught on. Yeah, this Jesus guy, it's so great, and heaven is so good, and the gospel is such a wonderful thing, but you know what we really need? We need a political movement for our friends over in the nation-state of Israel. Because after all, being chosen by God, being somebody for whom Jesus bled, being someone forgiven of all of their sins, that's great and everything, but it's not enough. It's just not enough. And, and after all, there's all these problems in the world. And I heard a, a pastor say once that God blessed Abraham and, and said, you know, those who bless you, I will bless. And those who curse you, I will curse. So, it, well, Abraham's been dead for so long, so there's got to be something more to it. And he said, Israel. So, so I want to get involved now. And, and I want America to be blessed. And I want America to have all this money and everything. And I, I want to feel really good about supporting the, the Jewish people. So dispensationalism comes on the rise, motivated by this feeling of it's not enough. It's never enough. So we have corrupt televangelists, money everywhere, just absolutely everywhere. We have these Jesus people who inadvertently uh, ended up spreading the opposite of the Christian message. And they inadvertently ended up starting a bunch of cults. You know, the family, or uh, that's how Keen Phoenix was raised in that, where there's this free love thing. And a lot of the boomers that were part of the Jesus movement, or the Jesus people, Jesus freaks, whatever you want to call them, a lot of them got suckered into cults. And with dispensationalism, well, I don't know how many people America has killed thus far in the Iraq war, but it's a whole lot. Even if we're, even if the war is supposedly over, there's always a new one right on the horizon. So long as the boomers feel like, well, we we have to biblically help out the Jews. And the thing that unites these again and again and again is this feeling like, yeah, the gospel's great and everything, but what now? Who now? What can I do? What can I do to make this feel like it's enough? That is boomer theology. It is rank simony at its very heart. Now, unfortunately, you can't just look at a baby boomer in the middle of his church, doing his thing, searching. You know, they were supposedly the seeking generation, right? You can't just look at him and say, hey, you're, you're committing simony, aren't you? 
You don't believe that the gospel is enough, and here you are now trying to make up for that hole in your heart. Of course, they'd say, what are you talking about? That's not me. That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Because this kind of heresy is not something that is thought of in the mind. You can go to a Jehovah's Witness and say, hey, you're, you're an Aryan. You don't believe Jesus is God. And that Jehovah's Witness will say, why, yes, you're right. I suppose we are modern-day Aryans. You can go up to somebody out there in another cult like, oh, say, Mormonism, and you corner a Mormon and finally say, no, listen, here are the documents that say y'all believe in basically infinite numbers of gods. You're a polytheist. And they would say, well... Strictly speaking, that's true, but uh, we prefer to be called monotheists because we only have allegiance to the one Godhead, the, the three gods that we believe in. Yes, it's crazy, but they would be honest after a bit of discussion. But when it comes to simony, simony is not a, a problem that comes in the mind through logical processes. It is not the, the rationalism that we see with so many other heresies lifted up by the pride of life and the heart joining hands with the mind to come up with something that violates holy scripture and damns souls. Simony is a heresy that comes from the heart alone. Because it doesn't want to be identified. It is a sneaky kind of heresy that lets you know it's never enough. It's like that we, we keep hearing from various evangelists out there that we have this God-shaped hole in our heart that we're born with and only Jesus can fill up that hole. Only the gospel brings us the security of faith. But with simony, it's kind of like, well, part of you is trying to convince yourself that that hole is still there. Or that there needs to be something more. Like maybe Jesus just filled up 70% of that hole in your heart. Maybe there's more room and that, that still needs to be there. So all these problems come in. And you will do anything when it comes to paying money, voting for the right person, uh, searching for the gifts of the Spirit, the, the sign gifts as they're so called, speaking in tongues or prophesying, just anything, anything to make you feel like you are a real Christian. Well, where does that come from then? How did this happen to the baby boomer generation? Boomer theology, why is that something so endemic to their generation? I mean, obviously it's not unique. We would never have identified the heresy of simony if it weren't, well something more or less well-known in the church since the days of Simon Magus. But it's never been this expansive. Never been this huge. Even the, even the indulgences of the Roman Catholic Church, there was what was called the Catholic Reformation or the Counter-Reformation, where they reformed a whole lot of the sale of indulgences to make it, well, quite a bit less heinous. But it's never been this way. Why? It's never been this bad before. Across probably all denominations, period. It's just everywhere. Where does that come from? In my guess is advertising. 
because the baby boomer generation is the first generation to be raised on television, to be raised with commercials absolutely everywhere, with billboards on every highway, with signs on every shop. They got the radio that they grew up with, the TV that they grew up with, everything in the silent generation and uh, the greatest generation as it's called that raised them said yeah bud this is america this is the best this is how you identify as a human being and the boomers said okay we're just living in this world now advertisement now what is what is the point of advertisement the point of advertisement is to inform you of something that the seller would like you to buy Okay, you're listening, you're going, hey, super, what, that's, that's a stupid, very dumb (laughs) definition of advertisement. But it's not just that. We all know that because most advertisement is presenting you something you don't need and then convincing you that you need it. That's usually what advertising is. Convinces you that there's something wrong with your life. It convinces you that you, you haven't really been living until you have gotten those, uh, those ring pops. You haven't really lived until you've seen your kids playing with sock and boppers. You haven't really lived until you've called up that nice lawyer man about mesothelioma. And you really haven't lived until you've gotten them pills out there, those little blue pills that help you and your aging wife to get it on. Boomers grew up constantly being told there's something missing there's something wrong and they need to buy their way into keeping that wrong away they need to buy their way into feeling fulfilled there's no happiness with what they have there needs to be something more buy more have more and there's no faith in just enjoying the blessings they've been given No wonder they fell for the simony heresy, hook, line, and sinker. Because it's always wanting something different. Now, later on in the, over the passage of time, yeah, there were messages out there for people of, hey man, don't listen to the guy on TV that tells you you haven't lived until you've tried Coca-Cola new orange flavor. You haven't lived until you've had a sip of new Coke. What are you doing? What are you missing out on? Later on, there, were, there was a counter-signal to that. And in the 90s, there was definitely an anti-corporate feeling that even corporations were selling to people. Don't buy our product, man. Corporate music sucks. Fight Club comes out. And people get something of a different message that I would say helped to moderate a lot of how people were feeling and thinking. But with the baby boomers, at that point... I mean, let's face it, born in between 1946 and 1966, here they were at least 30 years old by the time it's 96. At least that old, having been raised on advertisement after advertisement, having been raised in the big capitalism of the Reagan era, having been raised with the idealism of the 60s and 70s with the hippie movement, So not only do you have these ideals pushing you in one direction and another, you also have all these other messages out there telling you you need this. And by the time people said, wait, you don't need that, 
It was too late. Even if they reject it in their head, it's still buried deep within their heart, and that is exactly where simony comes from. Let's take another look here at our passage from Acts chapter 8 here. This is all super important stuff. And I shouldn't have closed my Bible here, but i got to flip through it. If this seems a little off the cuff, that's eh, because it is. <laughs> had a very busy week here, and i got more busy weeks to come. Let's come back here to Acts chapter 18. So we know here from Simon, where does this come from in his heart? Starting in verse uh, 9 here, there was a man named Simon who had previously practiced magic in the city and amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he himself was somebody great. From that verse alone, we know that Simon is already practicing something esoteric. Uh, magic, the word being pharmakia in the Greek, is going to be something that is, well, there's a drug aspect to it. That's where we get the term pharmaceuticals from. But there's also the read old, hard-to-find books, do these rituals, contact these spirits, find out the secret knowledge that's been passed along from generation to generation. And as you go through this as a magician... If you're going to be doing magic, which please, nobody listening to this, don't ever do magic. Just don't. You're going to be lifted up. So Simon Magus says he himself was somebody great. And he is loving the people of Samaria here. He loves how wowed they are at everything he can do. They all paid attention to him from the least to the greatest, saying... This man is the power of God that is called great. So he had deceived so many people into thinking that he had these divinely imparted powers. This was his entire life, his thing before he becomes a Christian. And then suddenly now he believes in the gospel as Philip preaches it and he starts losing all of that stuff. He loses all these magical things that he was doing. He loses his powers. He loses the signs. He loses all of that. And suddenly now in his heart there's this little hole. Oh, by all means. The real hole in his very heart was filled with the gospel. And he drops everything for it, realizing it's so much more valuable than anything else he could ever desire. But he planted this seed with his previous life, before his conversion, where now he sees people laying on hands. He sees the gifts of the Spirit everywhere, and he says, maybe without saying it out loud, and maybe it's not his head saying it, but in his heart, somewhere he's saying, I used to have that. I gotta get that again. The Gospel's great, but... There needs to be something more. So Simon fell into simony by losing or by stopping his previous sorcerous ways. The baby boomer generation, they didn't lose previous sorcerous ways, but they were raised with the implantation of this feeling. This searching, seeking desire, this, this entire generational feeling of want. As though the ways their parents did things 
just wasn't enough. Now, in addition to this, there's a flip side to simony. Again, simony is committed whether somebody is selling grace or whether they are trying to buy grace. But Simon Magus, his, his lack of an understanding of grace also comes from a kind of spiritual squandering. Before that, let's go ahead and move here to the Gospel of Matthew. We are going to go into Matthew chapter 25. It's just a few books back. I'd love it if you have your Bible open with me here. This isn't something people think of. They don't think of simony when they hear about this parable, but it fits for the flip side of the motivations behind it and the other part of baby boomer theology. So let's go here to Matthew chapter 25, starting in the 14th verse. For it will be like a man going on a journey, who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one. To each according to his ability, then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also who had the two talents came forward, saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I have made two talents more. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much, and enter into the joy of your master. He also who had received the one talent came forward, saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow, and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, you have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown, and gather where I scattered no seed? Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him, and give, give it to him who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has will more be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. So how does this relate to simony? Excuse the cigarette here. How does this relate to simony? Well, Simon Magus did not feel like there was enough in the gospel. Like I said, simony in the heart it is the, the belief that there needs to be more than just the gospel. But simony of the heart on the flip side of that is also a denial of grace. What does that wicked servant say? The one who, he insults his master. 
because he just buries the talent, right? He says, uh, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid and I hid, I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, you have what is yours. This guy, this guy insults his master, says something that isn't true about him. Remember, the master represents God here. He represents our Lord Jesus coming back to take the entirety of the world. And he says, listen, you're a jerk. You take what you want. You, you can take care of that. Um, I hid your stuff. Don't worry, it's yours. I knew that you, you can expand this on your own. Now, if this was a Christian, if this was a, somebody who really understood their master, would they really say, hey, you're a dick? Of course not. Absolutely not. This is somebody who would have said, you know, I had one talent. I didn't know what I could honestly do with it. So yes, I, I got some interest for you. But I rely on your mercy for me. I pray for your grace on my life that I might receive your blessings for me. That's not what this servant does. He denies that his master is gracious. Even as he sees that this master just gave his servants, the, two, the guy that gave him five more talents, the guy that gave him two more talents, he just gave them more than they earned. So we, we know this guy isn't some hard jerk out there who's like, all right, back to the slave pits with you. No, he rewards this good behavior and even goes so far as to give people good things that they didn't earn. So he doesn't believe that there is grace there and instead decides, I'm going to do my own thing. That's the other half of the boomer problem. The boomer theology here that we're seeing in churches. It's a lack of belief in God's grace. Does Jim Baker need a private jet? Absolutely not. Why does he say that he needs one on your dime? Because he doesn't believe that God is gracious. Neither did Simon Magus. Here Simon Magus is, just like the servant here who only had the one talent. Simon Magus sees these gifts being given to people for free. He sees salvation being given for free. And what does he do? He says, well, there's no grace here. Um, listen, I want to pay for these spiritual gifts. Let me, let me make do with what I have, not with what you gave me. Let me make do with what I can earn, what I can do, what I can be by myself here. Or, or maybe we can have an exchange. And that's the other half of it. If you're in a, in a church where, say, there's some, there's some scares over this Delta variant we've heard about. Nobody's been wearing masks now for five months at your church. Everybody's been great. They've been super confident. As soon as those baby boomers in the church council heard that there was a vaccine, they jumped on that vaccine, everything was good. But then this Delta variant comes out and they're all scared. And they all hear about that buddy out there who had the vaccine, but then he contracts the, the coronavirus and suddenly the masks come back on. Why? I mean, for five straight months, if... 
if this was really as scary of a thing as it's supposed to be now, there would have already been infection cases and people dying in your congregation anyway. But they start hearing this bad news, and they don't, they don't feel secure anymore. So the masks come back up. There is zero confidence in God's grace for them. Zero confidence whatsoever. They don't feel like safety comes from God. They don't feel like God would have mercy on the congregation. They don't even pray for that. Or even if they do, it doesn't look like they're putting much faith in what God decides to give them for free. They're worried. And so we got to solve this problem ourselves because rely on the gracious God? What's that? Give to my kids an inheritance? What's that? No, you know what? I'm going to rationalize that. They're, they're lazy, entitled millennials. So no, we're not going to do that. That's simony. It's the other kind of simony. Not believing that God would have grace. Grace, by the way, is unmerited favor. See, mercy is unmerited pardon. You don't get what you deserve because God is gracious. He is merciful. He is gracious. Mercy means you don't get the punishment you deserve. Grace means you get the good things that you don't deserve. And in, in the course of simony, the latter one is denied. They don't believe that God really is the gracious God that he says he is. Maybe they do in their head. Maybe they do with their actions. Sometimes. But in their heart, there's a lingering doubt. The same doubt that tells them there needs to be more is the same doubt that tells them, I gotta take care of this one my way. And that's, that's the essence of the boomer theology that we see just about everywhere. That's the essence of it. And by the way, with that more, more, more thing, the feeling of this hole in their hearts, you do realize that's one of the reasons that liberal theology and worldly morality crept into the church as well. Because if these boomers were happy with what was passed down to them in their conservative churches, then there would have been no need for them to prop up extra morals, extra rules, to drop some things from the Bible here, but, but that's okay. It's only so that we can fill it up with this other stuff that we feel like we absolutely need. Churches operating like businesses, because why trust in God for the grace that he provides? Why trust in him to provide enough money to keep the church's lights on? Why trust in him to bring converts in when instead we can just uh, follow this Rick Warren guy who says we can strike out on our own and start uh, hiring advertising executives to get our church really on the map? It's all simony, guys. Boomer theology at its very heart is simony. And may we as Christian believers of younger or older, or maybe there's boomers listening to this right now, may we instead rejoice in the salvation our Lord Jesus Christ gives us and be happy with it, to be content with what he provides, and to trust that we worship a gracious God who tells us to pray for our daily bread in the midst of providing for us that very daily bread we need. Amen and amen.